So again, welcome to the 10 August National Town Hall and thank you to uh, everybody who has joined us. <clears throat> Got a lot of stuff to go over. We have a, a number of national committee members who are gonna be up. There's everything that we're gonna talk about for tonight. We'll start off with the NOs. We'll hit a couple sound offs and then we're just gonna go through about uh, eight or nine of our national committees. Okay, so first and foremost, uh, we had the appeal board election ruling that, uh, uh, that came out. Hopefully everybody is aware of that. Uh, I'm going to speak real briefly to it, uh, kind of a just the facts thing. So if you aren't aware of this, there were three election complaints that were filed to the appeal board. They rendered their decision earlier this week. Based on their finding, the election for president, secretary, treasurer are going to be rerun. There was a national blast that was sent on Monday. Uh, that links to all three of the rulings. And the, you can also find those on the APA homepage. You go to the quick links, elections, and recent election protest. Uh, so of those three rulings, one of them was dismissed and the other two found violations that merited a rerun of the election. So I'm going to read directly from the remedy section of the, um, uh, there was a ruling that's sort of all-encompassing of, uh, of another one. So uh, having found that section 401 <clears throat> was violated in the election of President, uh, President Secretary of Treasurer in the 2022 National Officer election, uh, and that the violation may have affected the outcome of that race, we must fashion a remedy. We hereby order the rerun of the election for the offices of president, secretary, treasurer for the remainder of the term of office ending on June 30th. Uh, the rerun will have the previously submitted individuals from the nomination, nomination stage. The election schedule must be distributed no later than 30 days from the publication date of the decision. That date was 8 August. That was Monday when the decision came out. Uh, Captain Sitcher, and First Officer Clark will remain in their respective offices until completion of the final officially certified rerun election tally in each's race, either the election round or the runoff round, uh, if necessary. So we do have a couple of questions that we'll get to here, but really a lot of these questions are going to be answered if you just go in and, uh, and read the rulings in that. Uh, with that also, we've got a, a member survey that's going out. Um, there, there's actually one in progress and there's one that's uh, coming up and pending. The current one, uh, section six, we asked that if you haven't done this, please uh, go in. There's been a couple blasts. It's also accessible through the APA homepage uh, and complete this survey. So there was a lot of grumblings on telephone polling, which uh, it's some folks think it's kind of an archaic method of doing this. And there was feedback that people wanted the electronic surveying. Well, the problem is uh, the electronic surveying introduces a bias into it, whereas the telephone surveying, they can ensure that the specific demographics that are required are all met. In order for the electronic surveying to be accurate, in order for us to continue that, we need to have uh, high numbers in that. Specifically, we need uh, a 60% or greater response rate. So we're pretty close right now. We got a boost after, after the recent um, um, reminders that we sent out. So again, please, if you haven't done that, please, please fill that out. So following on the heels of that, we're gonna have an ALPA, uh, a combined uh, survey for ALPA and H67 pending board approval, which that's going to be brought to the board tomorrow. Um, there was a, uh, the board directed that the uh, survey questions be reviewed. That will happen tomorrow. And then those will go to Phil Comstock at the University of New Hampshire if they are approved. Uh, August 22nd is the date that that's going to open. And the reason for the delay is that Phil Comstock uh, wants a, a time period between when the ALPA survey closes to kind of let everybody refresh. They, they don't want survey burnout and go right into the next one. They feel that it'll get better response for that. So you can expect that that will begin uh, on or about August 27th. Okay, a couple more items here. 
So we're, we're really trying to plus up our, our volunteers here. Hopefully everybody has seen it in the News Digest. We put out the willingness to serve. Uh, that highlights all of the national committee openings that we have. In addition to that, if there uh, aren't openings on a committee that you're looking to get into at the national level, um, then there, there are domicile opportunities. Uh, reach out to your reps for that. And as an example, we're gonna have uh, Carl Jackson from the Captain's Authority Committee. He's gonna talk about some openings that, uh, that he does. And then three things that really anybody can be on, and we theoretically could have 14,000 volunteers for this, are the Compass Project, the National Communications Network, uh, and Family Awareness. So we're trying to bolster these. Um, all of those are available through the uh, National Committee Volunteer Portal. And if you're interested in any of those, please, uh, please sign up there. Couple administrative other things. The next town hall is tentatively scheduled for uh, Wednesday, September 7th at 1600. We're gonna try to keep these on the same day of the week and the same time. Uh, this one we had to flex to later because we have a board meeting this week, but we're gonna try to keep them a little bit earlier. If there are telephone town hall participants who are on the phone, you got the dial out that just came through. If you would like to see the Zoom function of this, because we do have some slides up here, and we're gonna have some graphics up from the operational analysis committee later. Uh, you can connect directly through the APA homepage, <clears throat> excuse me. And then lastly, uh, any feedback on this, good, bad, or other, please send it to townhall at alliedpilots.org. Okay, so some, uh, some Q&A that we've got. Uh, so starting off with the, um, uh, right in regarding the, uh, sorry here. Okay, so how much will rerunning the election cost? How did this happen? What is being done so that it does not happen again? So the, the cost of an election is gonna depend on the number of ballots that go out, but the cost of this last election was $202,000. Um, how did it happen? Again, I said this before, but just go read the, um, uh, the, what the appeal board put out, and that should answer all the question. As far as what's being done so that this doesn't happen again, there's already been changes that have been implemented to the policy manual to um, address the issues that, that uh, led to this dispute being brought forth. Specifically, that's resolution 2022-21, uh, revision of candidate mailings and posting procedures. You can access that from the board meeting um, pages, which are accessible through the quick links on APA. The next question regarding the appeal board findings, why wasn't the wrongdoing stopped at the time of, and why are you wasting the members' time and money now? I've got Jim Clark from APA Legal. Jim, if you'd like to weigh in on this one. Thanks, Chris. Can you hear me? Yeah, loud and clear. Okay. So, so the... The, the way the law is set up is that election appeals or election challenges can only be, be filed after the conclusion of the election. So um, the, the election is run and then only if and when challenges are filed within the timeline prescribed in the Constitution bylaws does the appeal board then have jurisdiction to review the challenges and make a determination as to whether or not um, the challenges raise uh, issues of violations that, that are established. And then if there are established violations, then to determine whether or not those violations may have affected the outcome of the election. So there, there was no, uh, the appeal board doesn't have the ability to make determinations while the election is ongoing. Its jurisdiction only attaches once uh, the election concludes and complaints are filed and that's consistent that's consistent with the law so that that is the uh, the structure in which we 
we have to operate and uh, we don't have the ability to to change things while the election is ongoing. Okay, thanks, Jim. <clears throat> Next question, in light of the recent contested national officer election at APA and the fact that due to its foundational structure at ALPA, they don't seem to have these kinds of issues, when will the board act and pass the resolution to form the merger committee between APA and ALPA? So it's kind of a two-part question here. Um, the first thing to point out is that ALPA wouldn't have a rerun of the election for their, their equivalent of the national officers because their equivalent of the board of directors votes for those officers. Uh, that said, to, to clarify your, your point here, the ALPA CMB actually does have a provision for recall. So uh, I'll bring up this here real quick. <clears throat> so there's uh, Article 1, Section 21 of the ALPA Constitution and Bylaws, and that just addresses what's called the Election and Ballot Certification Board. So that would be somewhat equivalent to our appeals board. And if you look right there, um, they, they hear all protests uh, for from elections. And then next is the reballot. So there is a process in there. And if you can see step C right there, um, <clears throat> a, if, a, if it's contested, it can cause, and I'll just read it off here, may cause one, nominations to be rerun, two, a nominated member to be included on or removed from an election ballot, or three, an election to be rerun. So just to be very clear, ALPA absolutely has a process for this to happen. But so back to the question, though, uh, and passing the resolution, we do have a couple of board members who, who are on here. Uh, so regarding the resolution to form the merger committee, if there are any board members who would like to speak to this, uh, go ahead and speak up. Hey, Chris, this is David Powell. Hey, um, and which, uh, I'm looking at the slide right now. Um, which of the three, which of those three bullet points are you asking me to address? So basically what it's what it's asking is when when is the ALPA resolution going to be addressed? I'm not hearing anything. I'm sorry, Chris. Hey, Chris, this is Tim Doreen. Can you hear me? Tim, say, Tim say, I'm sorry, Chris, say that again. My apologies. The volume was down. Tim, mute, please. Dave Powell, when is the ALPA resolution going to be addressed is the question. So we had urgent business yesterday that that required us to modify the agenda. And so we got to none of our resolutions uh, this meeting. We uh, also hadn't determined the dates of a September meeting. We're coming back the week of, uh, I believe it's September 19th, uh, as long as resolutions are in the uh, are on the agenda for that meeting um I, I believe the alpha resolution will be the first on the floor within one of the two drafting committees um that's as that's as um far as it's gotten at this point so uh we missed this meeting but we were here for uh, some fairly urgent business that necessitated the uh the uh changing of the agenda so didn't get to any resolutions this meeting so the next meeting we have when we have resolutions it could be as early as the week of uh, september 19th that would be the earliest we'll get to any resolutions to include the alpha resolution thank you all right thanks dave uh let's see next one <clears throat> why was the hey, chris uh can, can, chris yeah. can i weigh in on this real quickly too yeah sorry President uh, just, just for those who who aren't real familiar with oh, let me see if i get this video working now my video is not going to work Okay. I don't know if you could hear me here, Chris. How, how am I coming across? No, I'm clear. Ed. Yeah. All right. This is Ed Sitcher. I'm the president. I'm sorry my video isn't working. It's been down on this machine all day. I'm going to try to restart here right after I get off. But, uh, you know, we've got, we went through this in uh, 99 with this ALPA thing before. And uh, there's, uh, there's pretty clear guidance in our constitution and bylaws. We just can't go ahead and, and say, yeah, we want to go over to ALPA. And then start that process until we can, you know, we conform with the rules and regulations that govern the organization. 
I mean, right off the bat, in Article 1 of the Constitution and bylaws, it states that a decision to pursue or investigate an affiliation or merger with another labor organization, as contemplated in 12D, shall require a two-thirds vote of the Board of Directors. Now, that's in there because the last time we did this ALPA thing, which was right around, like I said, 99, 2000, right before Continental went over and right before FedEx went over, it was hugely divisive. It was a huge distraction. And once again, we were going through uh, negotiations. They offered us, while this ALPA thing was on the floor, Delta minus one on the A fund, we turned it down. We went into 9-11, one contract iteration behind all the other airlines, and we limped all the way through the 2000s, all the way into the bankruptcy, one contract iteration behind these other airlines, because we didn't comply with that. That's why that provision was put in there. So I know that you know, there's pros and cons to the Alpa merger, but I just not buying the fact that if we go ahead and we do this again, the same way we did it in 99, it's not going to be a distraction while we're at the end game of negotiating a new contract and benefits. I mean, this is, this is the primary function of the union to go ahead and throw it overboard right now because we've got people that want to go to Alpa, to me, is just conceding defeat. We'll try to do it in concert with what we're doing, but I've got to tell you right now, the focus is on getting the majority of our members better pay and work rules. We're at the table. We've been there three and a half years, and I just don't buy the fact that we can go ahead and simultaneously ride these two bicycles at one time, negotiate at the same time we change unions. So please go back and read that Constitution and bylaws. You're welcome to see when it was put in there in 2018. You could go back and research when it was put in there beforehand because it was recently altered. And, and you'll know exactly why it was in there if you call the guys up that made that and they lived through that. I'm sorry, Chris, I went a little long, but thanks. All right, thanks, Ed. Okay, on to the next question. <clears throat> why was the meeting without President Joe DePete delayed? When will this meeting take place? And if a specific date cannot be provided, will the BOD pledge today to meet with Captain DePete in the next 60 days? So the, the meeting was delayed because we don't generally coordinate who's going to have what's called a duly designated representative, meaning a board member can't be at the uh, at the table. So it wasn't until about a week prior to last week that uh, the board realized that seven of them were not going to be at the meeting. So they felt that it wasn't appropriate having invited uh, the president of ALPA from a directive of the board, and then in turn, a third of them or over a third of them weren't going to be there. Uh, so in terms of whether the BOD will pledge to, to meet with Captain DePete, no director on here can make that pledge because they are individual directors. Um, but uh, Captain Powell, did you want to address that question? Yeah, I'm happy to. I, I, I think, you know, we there there's a, a, a potential for a ALPA, if he had ALPA survey in the queue. So it, it's not as if the board has been shirking this. As As Chris mentioned, you know, it would have been an insult, frankly, to invite the president of ALPA to address address the board and have a third of the elected representatives not there. So, and we didn't know that at the time that we passed the, the motion to, to invite him. So uh, it, as a courtesy, we rescheduled. And um, I think now we'll, we'll, we'll deal with the uh, survey discussion tomorrow and then probably contemplate uh, awaiting the results of any surveying before we uh, have invite him and, and and do it in a way that's respectful and ensures that all the board's there. So affords uh, the Alpha president uh, the courtesy of of having a full board of director, APA board of director available for any such meeting. And we just don't know that right now. 
and any other board member welcome to chime in, but that's my opinion. Okay. Thanks, Dan Powell. Uh, next question. Can you please publish the date time cap is speaking so we can listen to this to his talk and show support for the Apple merger? Uh, yes, once this is uh, uh, rescheduled, that will be published to the pilot group, just like we published the fact that he was coming to or scheduled to come to this one. Uh, next question. The APA Alpha resolution language contemplates a merger approved by the BOD and membership. The alternative would be a car drive, which is a destructive process. Are there any BOD members who would prefer this option? I believe um, uh, F. Augustin would like to address that. Hey, hey thanks, Chris. Um, yeah, actually, real quick, I'd, I'd also um, like to just leverage the previous question here real quick that uh, happened to Pete coming to speak. I, you know, I, I also encourage members to come come join us when when the board's in session for, for regular business as well. Um, but as far as the question of a card drive, you know, I don't think that that's, that's uh, something anybody is leaning towards. What, what would be interesting, though, I think there's a number of, of board members that have, have, have asked the question, how many people in the in the in this pro alpha movement are really supportive of this as it stands right now? Um, a merger resolution you know, requires essentially two thirds of the board to get the ball rolling, and then fifty percent um, after the merger um, discussion is is uh, considered. Um, so a car drive would would actually have to demonstrate the the resolve of of a great many number of the membership that that haven't shown their interest so far. So yeah, it might be more destructive in the sense that we can't control the outcome. Um, and I think that's the reason you won't see any board members uh, openly support that. All right, thanks, Jason. Next question, why would we not negotiate with Alpha to find out what a merged union would look like? If we like the deal, we ratify it. If not, we don't. Captain Stitcher, I believe you wanted to address this. I'm sorry, Chris, this, this is Scott Eckenberger. What, who are you looking to answer this? Did you ask for Ed? Yeah, he was... Uh, Ed, Ed said he wanted to address that one. See, I can't hear him because nobody's ever muted. Video's on. Sorry, okay, so I'm, I'm, just gonna, I'm just going to go to the next one. So, when will we see the results of the Apple survey? Uh, the Apple survey, as I said, it's, it's set to open on August 22nd. The timeline is going to be to keep it open for two weeks, which would be the 5th of September. From there, the data's got to be processed. Uh, there are currently, again, this has to be approved by the board, but there's currently a number of open-ended questions. So it's not as simple as just tabulating data. Uh, how long it'll take will depend on the response, how many responses are received, but uh, we're expecting that it should be ready by the September BOD meeting, which is on the 20th of September. Um, and then the last one, uh, will the board agree that rejecting millions of dollars of unconditional holiday pay in 2021 turned out to be a failure and agree never to reject free unconditional money again? Uh, Anybody on the board like to address that? Captain Doreen, would you like to address that? Yeah, the uh, the bullet point regarding the 2021 holiday pay, Chris. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, and we're, we're not going to agree that we're not going to uh, reject holiday pay. I think we did a great job here on this last LOA where we I've um, got nine holidays that we're going to be paid going in the future. And, uh, you know, in, back in November or December of 
of uh, 2021. That was the stance we took. We wanted permanent holiday pay, and that's what we've secured. So I think we've 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 secured some things in this last LOA that were not going to be secured in a in a new Section Six contract. So uh, we uh, we're going to continue to move forward. Chris, this is Paul. Can I can I take a stab yeah. at it? So listen, I, I, I appreciate Captain Doreen's explanation, and I'm frankly proud of the fact that we've captured uh, holiday pay moving forward. The, the The objective behind rejecting the holiday pay proposal in 2021 had to do with uh, uh, sending a, a unified message to the company about fixing their problems when they need problems fixed and doing it via LOA. Um, and the problem with the the problem with that is that while there was unanimity on the vote, we didn't act unified in our conduct in the near period afterward. In fact, when board members went out and picked up premium, we effectively undermined the message that justified uh, effectively taking money out of your pockets. To, so in answer to the question, this board member, uh, I've been making my mea culpas known since since that time for, period. It was a failure on our part, but I think we have uh, recognized the uh, and learned the lesson from that period. And, and I'm appreciative of how we were able to actually capture something really powerful and meaningful over the 4th of July weekend and the TT, company TTOT debacle. So, yes, I am regretful if I had it to do over again. I would have hoped we'd have uh, approved that holiday pay because why take free money out of pilot pockets? I agree. I'm done. And Chris, uh, if I can piggyback on to uh, what Dave said. Look, the and I'm sorry, once again, my video won't come up. This is uh, Ed Sitcher. Look, the... The uh, company at that point, management had been going ahead and solving their problems, their short-term problems, by continuous, continuously requesting and then getting permission to violate the contract. They did it over and over and over, and we kept letting them do it until that holiday pay over, over the holidays. There were some issues last Christmas over what we were going to get. Why weren't we going to get the triple pay that the flight attendants got? Why weren't they going to go ahead and expand the positive space travel that they were offering to the flight attendants? There were all kinds of issues they were trying to cut back because they knew APA was weak in the past and we would continue to act weak in the future. When we put our stick in the mud over that 2021 holiday pay proposal, we showed them that we want it institutionalized. We want it part of the PBS bid package so that those who want to fly for the money over the holidays do fly for the money over the holidays, and those who want it off get it off. For every guy that could have got it off but was so senior decided just to take it off, there was somebody who had a three-year-old that couldn't watch him open presents because the senior guy who just took it off because he wanted it off got it off. So we put our stick in the mud, and that, was, that set the stage for what we got over the 2nd of July. It, it all led up to the holiday pay proposal, which admittedly, there's still holes in it. We're still working on it. The negotiating table uh, team still has an enhanced holiday pay proposal at the table because we got maybe half of what we wanted on the 2nd of July, but we got it there for good. It's never going to be taken back from us again unless we give it back. And it all came out because of what we did over the 2021 holidays. So uh, to, to reject free unconditional money, is only half the problem. To let the company again and again trample on our contract and just say it's okay if we pay us? No, it's not okay if they pay us. Anyway, that's all I got to say on that. Okay, next, Captain Stacey. On to the next one. Um, 
And I, I've asked if the pilot who submitted this uh, would allow me to identify her just so that uh, we, we can show that this isn't a plant question, but can you, uh, what can you do to support your fellow pilots and help your union move forward successfully? Can you take the contract compliance training? Can you bid for September 1st off? Can you attend a family awareness event? Can you volunteer to help with NCN or Compass? Each of us can contribute, must each do our small part. So that was contributed by uh, Kathy Alman, and I, I appreciate that, Kathy, who volunteers for Compass and Stop. Okay, so with that, we'll move on. Uh, sound offs. I'll throw a couple sound offs in here that we we get just to sort of emphasize that your sound offs are are read being acknowledged. Uh, the first one, and I'm going to have Chris Walker from the negotiating committee answer this one. Uh, and this is sort of an amalgamation of a bunch of sound offs that we've had, uh, as well as town hall questions. But why aren't existing LTD pilots being included on LTD improvements in section six? Uh, Chris, you want to take that one? Uh, hey, everybody, it's uh, Chris Walker negotiating. Um, so let's clarify a couple things. Um, we, we currently have uh, improvements to LTD on a go forward basis as a part of our negotiations, part of our tasking from our board to procure. Um, but people are taking that as its exclusion of the people currently on LTD, and that is not the case. We have additional tasking from our board our borders are tasking authority that tells us what types of things we need to go and get. And they have tasked us to go and get um, improvements to pay, removal of offsets and any other functions that we can for those currently on LTD. So I would kick it over to any board member that would like to comment on this because they're the tasking on it. But, but uh, the, the notion that we are only negotiating for people who may go out on LTD in the future is not true whatsoever. Okay, thanks, Chris. Uh, the next question: I am for the age. Uh, I am for the age sixty-seven legislation. APA should pull the pilot group before opposing this with full resources. So, uh, I'll, I'll reiterate what I've what has been said before, which is that this isn't a current board decision. Uh, this goes back to two thousand sixteen. That said, as I've already mentioned, uh, the age sixty-seven is going to be wrapped into the ALPA survey that is pending for August twenty-second. Okay, with that, we're going to bring the stop committee up. I believe Captain Gemma Meehan is on, and she's going to discuss uh, some of our upcoming events. Gemma, over to you. Thanks, Chris. And I want to thank everybody for being on the call or Zoom tonight. There's a lot of good information coming out there tonight. Um, I'm Gemma Meehan. I'm the chair of the stop committee. Captain Keith Parker is the deputy chair. And for purposes of the Dallas picket that I'm going to talk about uh we have First Officer Steve Pacheco, who's on national, and he's the chair of STOP in Dallas. Um, let's talk about the uh, Charlotte Union meeting um, that's going to happen on 18 August. I'm sure some people want to know why it went from a VDR to a union meeting. I want to emphasize that the Chicago picket was a success. The media presence there was amazing. We're very lucky to have had that uh, media presence and the energy that was in Chicago was amazing. After we left Chicago and looked at the uh, RSVP numbers for the Charlotte event, they were low. So we kind of reevaluated as a stop committee, what's the best way to go forward? And we thought we needed to change the format, maybe reset and kind of bring the union to the pilots. So this is one of the first instances where we're gonna bring the union to Charlotte. We're gonna be having a, um, Pilot Unity event the night before on the 17th, the Top Golf. 
And then we're going to have the union meeting 10 o'clock at the JW Marriott in, Sh in uh, Charlotte. And we're going to have um, stop family awareness, uh, the comm committee, contract compliance, scheduling, and the negotiating committee with at least 10 board members are going to be there. And you can meet your new uh, president and vice president and ask any questions you want to you want to ask of your pilot. So please, if you have the 18th off, fly in and we'll have lunch for you and you can meet the board members, the NOs and the committee members. Um, moving on to Dallas, we really want to focus on this. I want to say that we were the first ones to pick September 1st. Other airlines are going to join us. Um, it's going to be an all nationwide, all airline picket. United's doing it, Delta's doing it, Spirit's doing it, and JetBlue. So, of course, I want everybody to come to Dallas. But if you can't make it, we're going to be putting out all the information out there on where you can uh, volunteer to be part of a picketing event with another airline. The night before, August 31st, we're going to be having a pub event, Pilot Unity building event, at the HG Supply Company in Trophy Club. So make sure you can bring your family, friends, come, and um, we'll discuss what's going to happen on September 1st there. If anybody has any questions, let me know. Thanks, Gemma. Yeah, so really looking for maximum participation for that in, uh, in, in one September outside of Skyview. Okay, over to BJ West and contract compliance. BJ, you are up. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. As usual, uh, I apologize in advance for uh, the lack of video. I am on uh, DSL, uh, believe it or not, so uh, it doesn't play well when I do both. Uh, so at any rate, uh, I'll talk uh, – before I ask the question uh, of the day, I'll talk briefly about what's going on, uh, kind of the key points, what we're seeing. Uh, most of the issues we deal with, uh, as you guys know from the line – reassignments, uh, that is – uh, really, the the crux uh, coupled with recovery obligation, and then how they how they intertwine or how they mix uh, together uh, when you've had one and then have another. So uh, there's just a ton of issues with reassignments. Uh, a lot of it stems from the notification uh, component of what the company's trying to do. Uh, there is uh, certain timeframes where they just can't properly notify pilots, and it creates a kind of a a waterfall effect, uh, so to speak, of issues that trickle down line. So, uh, and then you get secondary cancellations, et cetera, on top of that. So uh, one of the big pieces this month was the the, the big cancellation package that they ran. Um, so we're parsing out the details, scheduling committees working on that. We're working on that and uh, we're bringing all that data to the table so we can figure out uh, exactly what the harm was uh, to the pilot group from a monetary perspective. Um, so uh, with that, uh, we encourage everybody to take the contract compliance training course. Uh, unfortunately, with uh, the lack of PU uh, that was awarded for or given uh, for uh, August, we were not able to, to post any classes. Uh, we were down to one or uh, no members of national in the office uh, on a week or two this month. Uh, so it's uh, very tight from a manning perspective, and then we've got uh, two members going through upgrade right now, which was the other uh, component of So that said, uh, the contract question of the uh, the week, the the day, so to speak, uh, true or false? Uh, positive space travel is available for pilots who wish to accomplish distance learning at the AA Flight Academy. So we've got the uh, 
pull up, uh, go ahead and make your selections. Uh, and when we click over here, I guess I should have asked that first, my bad. <laughs> Uh, but here in just a second, we'll see the results of that. So uh, we do hope to keep going with the uh, training se sessions uh, into September, October, November, et cetera. Uh, in theory, the shoulder months here coming up should, before Thanksgiving, should provide uh, a softened PU response from the company. Uh, cross our fingers on that so that we can continue to uh, host those sessions. Uh, I do think they're valuable. Uh, and uh, I think that's one of the key reasons for our increase in workload um, through the committee network. Uh, is that uh, more people are just aware of more um, issues uh, that that they have been uh, informed of through the training sessions. So that said, I don't know if there's a, a way to see how many people have uh, voted on the poll, but uh, the answer is true. Uh, you can, under 67, I believe is the, uh, the uh, contractual section, uh, you do have the option of accomplishing all required DL at the Flat Academy. Um, one does have to be uh, cautious or cognizant of the fact that the intent of that language was to allow a pilot to come to domicile or come to the Flat Academy once, complete the pilot's training, and uh, since that that option exists, the point is, uh, you know, you don't use this to go uh, four, four times a quarter to go down and do one module each time. So the point is you go down there, you can use this once, um, you can use the A1, uh, two training and A3 home from training, uh, to go down and actually accomplish your distance learning. Uh, the point being, you have to actually accomplish that distance learning while you're there at the flight Academy. So, um, in accordance with the language hotel and time away from, uh, base expenses are the responsibility of the pilot. Uh, so you, you don't get a hotel, you don't get, uh, um, per diem, but you do get the transportation uh, if you want to come uh, with positive space. So uh, the positive space also applies to uh, PLM training. There's been a lot of questions on that recently. So uh, you can use the the uh, positive space under 6F uh, to get to PLM training since it is a training uh, issue. So Excellent. that's uh, I think that was it. And, uh... Once again, this kind of proves uh, as a, a useful tool where you can see the split. Um, <clears throat> just barely over half the folks got it right, but it's a it's a learning uh, tool here. So, uh, thanks for that. Let me close this out. All right, and on to uh, Aeromedical. So we've got um, uh, first officer Allison Glazier, who is the uh, uh, recently appointed chair of Aeromedical, and then uh, Captain Eric Friedman from the. Pilot Occupational Health Subcommittee is going to talk about some uh, um, issues with uh, uh, delays of issuance of certificates. So, Allison, if you want to lead off, and then uh, Eric, you can take over. And Allison, I can see that you're still uh, muted. Oh, there we go. Or Eric, are you ready to go? Uh, I can. Yeah, Eric, why don't you just go ahead? Uh, we'll we'll wait and see if we can get Allison up. But since you've got the sort of the meat of the the discussion here, go ahead. Okay, thank you. Um, hopefully, uh, Allison will be on momentarily. Um, so, good evening. Uh, my name is Eric Friedman. Uh, I was furloughed in 2003, <clears throat> and I returned to American Airlines in May 2021 uh, after an involuntary 18-year absence. For 15 of those years. 
Uh, I served as a senior staff member within the FAA's uh, Air Transportation Division at the agency's Washington headquarters. <clears throat> it's a privilege for me to serve on this important committee, on the Aeromedical Committee. However, I do want to be clear that these remarks that I have are, are my opinions only. <clears throat> my views are informed by the training that I received and the work I performed as a federal regulator for 15 years with the FAA. They're also based on the two decades that I've spent interacting with and litigating with the Office of Aerospace Medicine. <clears throat> In my remarks, I'm going to refer to the Office of Aerospace Medicine as AAM, which is the government routing code for that particular uh, staff office. Just as a brief introduction, uh, the Flight Standards Service, where I work, and AAM, the Office of Aerospace Medicine, <clears throat> are equivalent level FAA staff offices. Many people may not realize that the agency is organized into what's called lines of business. Now, the line of business we're interested in as pilots is aviation safety. The aviation safety line of business is headed by an associate administrator. And that person is one level above the heads of both flight standards and the Office of Aerospace Medicine. If you're interested in more details about the way that these offices are organized in the FAA, uh, please check out a recent article that I wrote for the Aeromedical Bulletin, which is available on the Aeromedical Committee section of the APA website. Now, <clears throat> in Washington, things are often measured in terms of budget. And from this standpoint, and in the context of the overall FAA budget, Office of Aerospace Medicine is small, really to the point of insignificance. However, because of the fact that all professional pilots are compelled to continuously obtain certificates issued by this office, AAM has a magnified influence on our lives. Reality is <clears throat> that AAM is the only FAA office that we are compelled to deal with on a recurring basis throughout our careers. Dealings with AAM are unlike other encounters with the FAA. For example, once you obtain a pilot's license or a type rating from flight standards, you never have to deal with that office again. Also, applying for a pilot certificate, we know in advance exactly what the eligibility standards are because flight standards publishes them in a practical test standards or equivalent document. The Office of Aerospace Medicine operates in a very different way and one that is really very foreign to those of us who are accustomed to the flight standards way of doing business. <clears throat> now, as long as APA members can obtain a medical certificate, certificate directly from an aerospace medicine designee, people known as AMEs, the process, while burdensome, is relatively straightforward. However, need to obtain a certificate from AAM may cause some pilots to avoid reasonable medical care out of a fear that it may affect that certification. And worse, many APA members are at some point in their careers forced into the special issuance process, regardless of their age or their fitness. And process really isn't the right word. Um, <clears throat> as the procedure to obtain a medical certificate outside of the regular issuance process are non-standard, and they're poorly documented, they're often subject to vague or ambiguous standards, and they frequently come with indefinite application processing timelines, can span months, years, or even decades. The entire special issuance construct is extra regulatory. I really wanna emphasize that. It's all, everything to do with special issuance is outside of part 67. The Office of Aerospace Medicine controls the special issuance process through a policy document called the Guide for Aviation Medical Examiners, or GAME, which is not even directed at the public. 
and which AAM changes frequently with no opportunity for public notice and comment and through another policy document, which AAM refuses to publicly release. Application for a medical certificate is an application for a federal license. It comes with rights. Congress has mandated that the, FED, the FAA must establish standards licenses issued by the agency, and the agency must issue those licenses to all eligible applicants. And holding a medical certificate is a right. It's not a privilege, it's a right, provided that you meet the standards. Experienced, expensively trained American Airlines pilots can be sidelined for years without a clear idea of the eligibility standards or even a timeline of when to expect their completed applications to be processed by AAM. I'm an example of someone who's placed in indefinite administrative limbo by AAM. In short, <clears throat> AAM's medical certification process may be working in their estimation. For those of us who depend on medical certificates in order to work, the system appears broken and on the verge of collapse. The systemic failure of this particular office to work the way it's supposed to has a direct and negative impact on APA members, our association, the company, and on the traveling public as well. AEM has a magnified influence on our lives because of the fact that none of us can work unless we periodically obtain a slip of paper from that office. Without this slip of paper, our careers are effectively over. Um, Chris, that concludes my remarks for this evening. Uh, thank you to Allison if she's back on and I'll turn it back over to her or, you, or to you. Can you hear me now? Hey, Allison, welcome back. Okay, excellent. I've got two Zoom streams coming in here. So I'm on audio on my, my phone so I could hear. Uh, thank you very much, Eric. AAM's special issuance procedure delays also fall on the traveling public and the country's infrastructure when thousands of experienced pilots enter a medical certification holding pattern. Shortcomings in the medical certification process and how we can better serve our pilots in this environment have been identified as a priority for this committee. Moving forward, we are strategizing how best we can prepare protect our pilots' rights to apply for and obtain medical certificates. So thank you for all the time tonight. We really appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Allison and Eric, uh, for that. So we do have one question here. I'm going to read it, but actually, uh, Cap Sitcher is going to address this. Uh, the WHO director declared a monkeypox, uh, declared monkeypox a global emergency. The powers that be are already setting the stage for further mandates, even though monkeypox is not spread through the air and affects only a small percentage of the population engaged in risky behavior. Will APA learn from its past mistakes and protect its members from any more shots and mask requirements? Uh, Captain Sitcher, would you like to take that? Hey, Chris. This is Ed Sitcher again. Sorry, my uh, camera isn't being fixed. I had IT working on it. Look, uh, I just sent out a blast tonight. So this probably went out, this uh, request before the blast went out. I think it pretty uh, succinctly states my position on mandates. The mandates go beyond the contract. It's not something that we, we got hired under American with. It's not something that I feel they can mandate. Uh, we've, we've put a lot of uh, time and effort and resources into this issue, and I'm trying to get ahead of this monkeypox thing. I will not take a vaccination for monkeypox. It just isn't going to happen. If you read the blast, you'll understand why I am so pro-choice. I was one of those guys that was paralyzed in the military from vaccinations, and I didn't have a choice back then when I was flying in the Air Force. And I'm not going to, on my watch, let one of my members unwillingly be subject to that. If you want to take it, it's your choice. Please feel free. If you have a propensity to react, 
or you have an unusual uh, immune system like myself, you should not have to take an experimental vaccine. It's just that simple. It's not our mission. So please um, know that the union's got your back on this issue. At least they have it now, even though we might not have had it a few years ago. Read the blast that went out tonight. And uh, you could look for some more information on this in the future. We also sent a letter across the street to uh, Robert Isom today that requested we go back to the thorough sterilization, I guess you'd call it, of the airplanes between flights to, uh, to ensure that our crews aren't exposed to monkeypox. I'm not minimizing at all the threat this may have for our crews. All I'm saying is the mandates aren't part of our contract. And as far as I'm concerned, they won't be part of the contract while I'm at as president. So uh, I don't know if I can fill you in on any more, Chris. I'm pretty sure that that sums up our position. No, but, uh, yeah, that's that's great, uh, Captain Stitcher. Thank you. We're going to move on now to Government Affairs Committee. Uh, fresh out of the, uh, actually, the captain's dinner, the uh, PLM dinner. Uh, let's see, Captain Benton and uh, Captain Meek, you guys on? Yes, sir. All right. Uh, Gak, over to you. Look at you sharing <laughs> a computer even. Yep, we're sharing a computer. Okay. Uh, thank you all for letting us uh, uh, speak very briefly. There's three three issues we want to talk about. Number one, PAC contributions. The Government Affairs Committee uh, has our budget that is granted to us by the board, and that gets us on Capitol Hill talking about APA's legislative objectives. We have um, seven legislative objectives right now. We've got five bills in Congress. <clears throat> Excuse me. But what the PAC contributions does, it's our force extender. It enables us to take our message directly to the members of Congress. And what that has done over the years, it's enabled APA to not only have a uh, impact on Capitol Hill, but also to be asked to write legislation. Uh, during the Boeing Max, uh, Senator Cantwell, who is the highest on the Democrat side, Democratic side of the Senate Commerce Committee, um, uh, she, uh, uh, Harvey had a two hour one-on-one. -on -one. You don't get two hours with a Senator and certainly not the number one person, uh, on the Senate commerce side for the Democrats. So, <clears throat> so the PAC contributions are very important. Um, and, um, as we always say, and as we just said in our captain up, uh, our captain class and last night in our new hire class, uh, what you legislate and regulate. You don't have to negotiate. So APA did not have to negotiate uh, rest rules uh, because we were able to legislate and regulate uh, FAR 117. So we would ask everyone to respectfully consider uh, what is this profession and what is your career worth? Uh, you can go on the APA website under committees to government affairs, and there's a hyperlink there for back to pack, and uh, it literally takes 20 seconds. Uh, we have so many threats facing our industry, whether it's uh, single pilot cockpits, uh, which we've dealt with uh, all the way back to the 2018 FAA Reauthorization Act, um, to flags of convenience. Uh, so there are a multitude of threats that could upend uh, our profession and everyone on the call's careers um, in no time. <clears throat> the second uh, issue is age 67. Uh, the, uh, as, as, uh, Chris Torres said, uh, this is a government affairs committee does not go rogue and we don't have an opinion on this. Uh, we just follow the legislative objectives, uh, that are put into place, uh, by our board. Uh, 
And as of May of 2016, um, that position has been to oppose any increase. Uh, very quickly, I will tell you that um, when the United States went from age 60 to 65, it was to align with IKO. So we caught up to the global uh, standard set by IKO, which is 193 countries. Uh, IKO uh, is at 65. And based on an EASA study from 2017 and 2019, they have no intentions of going currently above 65. So we had IT run numbers and a big majority of our pilots age 63 and 64 are um, wide body captains. They would have to go back to narrow body training and they could not fly international to include Canada and Mexico. So the other thing is ALPA, which is 65 pilots, and SWAPA, which is 10,000 pilots, uh, are adamantly opposed to any increase in the retirement, any increase in the retirement age. So if our board makes a decision uh, to change our position, then uh, instead of 90,000 to zero, it's 75,000 to 15,000. So we're still essentially in the same boat. Uh, and then I'll turn it over real quick to Harvey to talk about uh, ATP. Thanks, Jonathan. Um, a little bit of history is required here. Uh, back in uh, um, about 12 years ago, we had a crash, a uh, Colgan air, air crash, which killed uh, uh, 50 people. And um, uh, two of the key cause factors that were identified were um, inexperience and um, poor training. The federal government commissioned what's called an aviation rulemaking advisory committee, which is uh, a panel of industry interested parties slash experts uh, to evaluate uh, pilot experience requirements to sit in the right seat of a Part 121 carrier. They, um, they, it ended up, the, the ARAC's uh, recommendations ended up uh, resulting in a piece of legislation called the Airline Safety Act of 2010, which mandated um, changes to the experience level to sit in the right seat of a, a Part 121 carrier, basically a regional airline. And uh, it adopted the restricted ATP as the minimum standard. There were four pathways uh, provided to get the restricted ATP. Um, one of my son's uh, chose the uh, non-aviation college route. So he had to have 1,500 hours of uh, flight experience to get his restricted ATP. If you uh, go to a, uh, a four-year accredited aviation university, that 1,500-hour requirements gets reduced to 1,000 hours. If you go to a two-year aviation uh, accredited school, you need 1,250 hours. And, and the last pathway is the military. If you have received military flight training, you need 750 hours. So the uh, rulemaking advisory committee, um, you know, came up with these standards. It was, uh, it was a collaborative effort of which the CAPA president, Larry Rooney, uh, also an APA member, was part of. And it's worked very well. We haven't had a fatal accident um, in the United States attributable to human error in over a decade. So the new standards are working. Unfortunately, because of, the, uh, um, because of a lot of factors, uh, the Regional Airline Association is having um, a hard time 
crewing their airplanes. And their answer to that is to lower uh, the flight experience requirements. And, um, you know, obviously we are opposed uh, to those efforts. Um, we've got some alternative solutions, which we're working on, but um, there's, there's a current um, uh, application from one uh, uh, regional airline uh, in front of the FAA for what's called an AMOC, an alternate means of compliance. And their request is to lower the flight experiences experience required from 1,500 hours to 750 hours, basically a military equivalency if you complete their uh, uh, training program. That's currently under evaluation. And um, we, we don't know which way the FAA is going to rule on it, but uh, the regional airline industry is actively pursuing a reduction in experience, which, which we think is a terrible idea. And we've got some other um, ideas that can address uh, the pilot shortage at the regionals. There is no shortage at the main lines, uh, as, as announced by uh, um, American Airlines just as recently as yesterday. So we've got solutions that are going to uh, assist the uh, at, at the front end of their careers, uh, pilots getting into the profession, but being properly trained with the right experience to do the job. Jonathan? Yep. And, you know, obviously we don't want to sacrifice safety. So if there is a demand for doctors in rural America, uh, they don't lower uh, medical school standards and training. So anyway, that's it. And we'll stand by if you have any questions. Hey, so there's no pre-submitted questions, guys. And, and thanks, Jonathan and Harvey. But there is two in the Q&A. We're doing good on time. So I'm going to grab these because they're, they're relevant. Uh, the first one is, why does the PAC have a preponderance to only interact with Republican members of Congress? We promise to interact with a more bipartisan slate of representatives in the future. Okay, thanks. So that's a great question. And I will answer it very quickly. We we are balanced. There's 535 members of Congress, and uh, the Democratic Party is control is in control of the House and the Senate. So if you go to OpenSecrets.org and you put put in Allied Pilots Association, there is a graph there that shows we're in the 2020 cycle. We were 52.7% uh, of our contributions were to Democrats and um, the the others were Republicans. Uh, what did happen during COVID, obviously is Republicans were uh, more apt to hold in-person events. So we got slightly out of balance, but I will tell you and everyone on this call that uh, I've had dinner with Speaker Pelosi on three separate occasions and sat right next to her. Uh, I had uh, government affairs had uh, uh, President Sitcher uh, lined up to have a meeting with Senator Ted Cruz and with Senator Richard Blumenthal and Senator Blumenthal, uh, at the same time as uh, Majority Leader Schumer, uh, contracted COVID. So uh, the next time that Captain Sitcher uh, uh, goes to D.C., we will be looking to meet with Senator Cantwell, Senator Klobuchar, uh, Senator Blumenthal. So we are very balanced. We're committed to that. And what we just told the captain um, class is if we go talk to a Republican, who supports a legislative objective that APA has, their first comment is, go get me a Democrat. If we go talk to a Democrat, he says, go get me a Republican. So we absolutely have to be balanced. Okay, 
Thanks, Jonathan. And then uh, second question, has there been any discussion on the Hill about making airlines refund passengers with delays as short as three hours and cancellations? So there's been a whole lot of discussion about that. And and uh, obviously, if you listen uh, to the messaging that's coming out uh, from President Sitcher and our mouthpiece, Captain Tazier, you'll see that APA is very supportive. We are committed uh, to our passengers. They're the ones uh, who keep us employed. And so uh, if the airlines are uh, not doing right by the passengers, then it's our opinion that uh, we are supportive um, that the passengers need to be refunded. Absolutely. Excellent. Thanks to uh, both uh, you, Jonathan, and Harvey for that. And we're going to move on to, I believe, safety is next. Uh, safety committee. First officer, Todd Wissing and uh, Hugh Morgan are up. Thanks, Chris. This is Todd Wissing, uh, APA safety chair. As of July 1st, uh, wanted to uh, thank you for the time to update our membership about the safety program that we're uh, transitioning into. As we know, the, uh, anytime you get a new administration, you get a new vision for what they want to accomplish. And uh, Captain Sitcher and Captain Torres and Captain Clark have made it uh, uh, clear to us that they want some changes with the way we approach safety. I'll start out by saying that um, the collaborative programs we have with American Airlines Management, uh, LOSA, um, ASAP, FOQA, LIT, um, our smoke and fumes and environmental, as well as uh, the ATC uh, concerns, those are all very good programs. I've learned a lot about them. I didn't know about some of them because my times on the safety committee in the past didn't lend itself to getting to know a lot about those, um, those intense programs. But uh, I'm, I'm very happy to report that we've got really professional, very knowledgeable people on all those uh, committees. I've been very impressed because uh, while they're, they're um, uh, supposedly in, in non, um, non-political, you know, the, the, the non-political side of the union would, would be the safety committee. Uh, they are very dedicated to the uh, care and, and, um, and uh, um, health of our safety programs, as well as our pilots. And they're very protective of that. Um, with, the, uh, with the vision I was talking about with uh, Captain Citra, Captain Torres, and Captain Clark, uh, we began to address the issues that uh, maybe Captain Torres and Captain uh, Sitcher talked about in their video. Um, safety is the only mission. And they asked me my opinions on some things because of my experience. And uh, we looked at, you know, some of the things that they were talking about, the Guatemala City, the, um, you know, what the, the big thing was the spike in fatigue in June really caught our attention. So they, um, uh, excuse me, F.O. Taurus, for Sasha Taurus. Um, so the, the spike in, in fatigue calls really caught our attention. And uh, Captain uh, Sitcher really uh, bore down on what can we do about this stuff. We really need to start to address some of the things that are bothering us about taking check airmen out of, and putting seat fillers in and taking check airmen out of human factors and things of that nature. So the way that... Uh, uh, the, the, the administration chose to deal with that is to start a safety culture transition committee. 
that's an ad hoc at the, at the moment, but it allows us to um, uh, take a look at those uh, issues without uh, affecting the collaborative programs that are working so well um, on the other side. And uh, Captain Gavin Tade has been appointed the uh, chair of that. Uh, he and I have talked quite a bit. I've been able to provide institutional knowledge and past history of actions taken by APA in the past to address times when APA was forced to address concerns. And uh, there's a whole history there that uh, has been going on basically since uh, you know the mid 70s, uh, if you really take a look back. So um, going forward, we're really looking to expand our interaction with the domicile safety reps. You'll hear more about that. Uh, and in that regard, I want to encourage um, everyone to re-engage in the volunteer process. You've heard from First Officer Torres about you know, the portal that we're trying to upgrade. It, uh, it wasn't working so well. I went back personally and found two years of applications for safety committee jobs and, um, and contacted those people to see if we can see who's still interested. But uh, I know our ASAP program and our um, uh, LIT program are looking for, actively looking for volunteers. Uh, you'll see those announcements coming out soon. Um, and I, I encourage everyone to uh, use your role as a safety, aviation safety expert. If you made it to American Airlines and you're sitting in either seat, you are a safety aviation expert. And we want you to act that way. Um, the last thing I'll say is that uh, uh, we're also developing a lot of uh, new relationships, of course, with a new administration. We're really uh, looking forward to working with our training department and our aeromedical and our uh, uh, you know, flight time, duty time, all those areas that would impact safety. Uh, I want to reiterate that safety stands alone. It is a, a number one concern. It is probably the main concern that we should all have and, and we do have. So we're, we take it very seriously and our volunteers look forward to uh, interacting with those domicile volunteers and getting a, a very um, robust safety uh, culture going as we transition into a new uh, administration. And uh, I'd like to introduce uh, Captain Hugh Morgan. He is our um, line operations safety audit deputy, uh, and he'll talk about the LOSA and the, um, uh, the LIT observation programs. Hugh? Thank you very much, Safety Chair Wissing. Can everybody hear me okay? Yeah, loud and clear, Hugh. Uh, okay, thank you very much. Yes. Uh, once again, my name is Hugh Morgan. I am the deputy chair of the LOSA subcommittee. Uh, there we go, we got somebody with an echo. Uh, FO Nick Peterson is a committee member. He runs our LIT or learning and improvement team. And we're two crew observation programs that work with APA safety. We focus on different things, but we, we work in the flight deck. Uh, the LOSA program, once again, as uh, FO Wissing said, is, stands for Line Operations Safety Audit. And LIT stands for Learning and Improvement Team. We focus on uh, PEM, type observations from the LOSA program and resilient pilot performance from the LIT program. Um, our programs focus on flight deck observations and other data collection methods to keep a pulse on our operation. So one of the things that we have been looking at recently is TPS issues, and we've also been focusing on Guatemala City. I see Czech Pilot Brinkley made a comment about uh, Guatemala City 
issues. We are currently in the midst of collecting data and analyzing that data as well as all of our safety programs to come together and, and find a data-driven solution to, to the changes that have happened for sure. So I'll be looking forward to briefing the APA members and uh, the BOD here in the next uh, month or so with the, some of the findings we've come up with. One of the things that we've had uh, come forward and one of the reasons I'm happy to speak today is that we've seen an uptick in observer declinations on our flight decks. And I just want to remind everybody that the LOSA and the LIT programs are here to serve line pilots. We're here to come to solutions for you. All of our observers are APA members and line pilots. They're just like you that work part of their month, uh, usually every other month, to conduct their observations. And our whole focus is to, to gather data from a perspective that no other program can. So, unfortunately, I think just due to some of the uh, situations that we're in with being in contract negotiations and some of the changes that have happened with Guatemala City. We've had an increase in those declinations and some of the de-identified comments that have come through is that the pilots say they don't want to have an observation because they're kind of sticking it to the company a little bit or they say, hey, if I can't have a check pilot down here, then I also don't still want an observer in the jump seat, which is counter productive to what we're trying to accomplish. So with that, I would just like to ask that everybody reconsider that you use that observer as a tool, as a resource if you need to, even if you're feeling a little bit tired, you can have another person in the flight deck that is line qualified. Don't feel that you can't interact with them um, and please allow the observers to ride with you. So if you have any questions, happy to answer them. But once again, thanks for your time. All right, thanks, Hugh and, uh, and uh, Chris. Could I, could, I, could I say one more thing? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, this is Todd Wissing. Um, I'd just like to back up uh, Hugh Morgan on that. Um, if you guys, anybody who knows me knows uh, that I'm uh, very um, uh, certain on, on uh, having the choice in the cockpit and uh, running, running the flight the way that you know, we feel the flight crew should run it the best. Uh, certainly, if you don't want an observer in your cockpit, that's absolutely uh, fine. But, uh, you know, I want to reiterate that uh, Captain Morgan and Captain or First Officer Peterson are, um, you know, union representatives, and they are uh, really there to gather information that really helps us. So I just like to put that plug in and uh, I'll turn it back over to you, Chris. Excellent. Thanks, Todd. And thanks, uh, Hugh, for that info. All right. Moving on now to the scheduling committee. Uh, we got Drew Coleman, Chair of the Scheduling Committee, and uh, John Wickham. Um, so I'm going to do this a little bit uh, out of order here. Drew, I'm going to ask you a question from chat because I know that you got some family stuff going on and you want to clear out. Uh, and then I'm going to, uh, I'll intro John for his stuff. So uh, Drew, for you, the question is, what is being done to fight back against a near total lockdown of trip trading ability? Uh, and what and when will this play into TTS 2.0? The trip trading lockdown, which is the forced red, the last six days of the month uh, are the main issues that we're looking at at this point because they're doing too much too long. So it's, there's a 96-hour limit. We are working with Trish Kennedy to uh, append that to our grievance from earlier when they did this to the 777, I'm not sorry, the 737 FOs a couple years back. So we'll be adding that to that. As far as the rest of the forced red days, it is unfortunately contractual. This is something that's going to have to be negotiated to fix. They're not doing anything that's not contractual. Uh, it's not wise in our in our guess because you know they see an uptick in pilot self-correcting. Um, but that's that's just here, no there. 
Uh, I will say that the TTS system uh, that's going to include real-time trading that was tentatively scheduled to be rolled out later this month for, se or for September bidding uh, is at this point uh, delayed. We're, we're not finished getting our punch-out list done. The company still has a few items to finish. I will say that they have done tremendous work in getting the majority of them done. Uh, there were several really hard ones that I think they've come to some very good mutual solutions for both sides. I do believe pilots will like the solutions that they've come up with. Uh, more to come from the board as the board makes further decisions, and uh, we'll let you guys know from there. And I will have to say one thing good with uh, John Wickham and the OAC team. You're going to see a lot of tremendous uh, information from them. This is a result of obviously a great amount of work that the two of us have put together over the last several years. And John, go ahead and show them what you got. Hey, uh, so hold on. Let me, let me, I'm going to say yep. some. Okay. Good Sorry. John also. Drew, go fix your tire. Uh, hey, so, all right. So we have this, <laughs> we have this subcommittee of the, op, of the uh, scheduling committee. It's called the operational analysis uh, committee. It's actually a subcommittee. Um, but I, I really do want to highlight uh, John Wickham and his team. They do a lot of stuff behind the scenes and both myself and President Citra have recognized this. When, when the 2nd of July TTOT issues happen, um, both Ed and myself woke up and they were in full force already running uh, a, a lot of the analysis of things that had happened. Um, I'm going to let John speak to that. Chris, Chris I'm going I'm to let John speak too. Let me just add, I'm going to piggyback on what you said there. Look, what Drew said is true. We are not happy with the schedules. We are not happy at all with the scheduling. The problem is we're coming off of a bankruptcy era contract where we really don't have a whole lot of, uh, of, of contractual provisions that would protect us against the scheduling the company's doing. The negotiating committee has been tasked to go ahead and look into things like F time changes, all kinds of things that would possibly uh, put an incentive on the company to go ahead and schedule more realistically with distribution of trip blanks that don't skew out to four and five days. Um, also, uh, John Wickham, who's going to speak here in a second, is key. What we've done is, is we put a huge emphasis on IT and APA over the last month that I've been in, in uh, the office. We're beefing that up. What we're going to try to do, short of making all the contractual changes we need, because that's going to be difficult to do in just one contract iteration, guys like John Wickham are going to be key in sitting there and showing the company just how much it costs to irresponsibly schedule. At the end of the day, if we do a good operational analysis, we're hoping these guys see the win-win in it. So before I take all of his thunder away, please, thanks, Chris, for letting me say something. I will go ahead and hand it back over to you so you can introduce John. All right, more kudos to, to John Wickham and the Operational Analysis uh, Committee. So, th th and the last thing is that th this, this technically subcommittee is so important that Captain Citra and myself are pushing to get them create, uh, moved into a standing committee um, because they were created to support the scheduling committee with the analysis that was done, but really th they support everybody. So with that, um, if we haven't pumped you up enough, John, go ahead and just uh, tell me tell me slide when you want to move on with this. Hey, Ed, Chris, uh, Drew, thanks for all that. I uh, just want to say this is really a building on everything that over the last three years, IT, uh, the developers, Pat Clark, uh, Drew, all the support that we've been really bringing forward all of our data analysis. 
Just a quick summary on 2 July, uh, we had two IT uh, staff developers. We worked all weekend long giving uh, hourly updates and just timely information on what was happening with all those open time trips, the totals, the activity, the trading, and then watching and monitoring real time as all those sequences were getting back uh, added back on. And then we kept feeding all that information to all the other committees, negotiating everybody else. And that just really highlighted all the work that we'd done to develop uh, all these reports ahead of time. So we were ready to provide real-time analysis for decision-making. Next slide. Uh, one of the things that we're out of the LOA 2022, uh, it's a problem for pilots, uh, of course, and the, the company mentions it in there also. We're, what about these broken sequences? Where are they going? Uh, and it's pretty much near impossible for a pilot ever to find out that it may have existed on an original sequence. Uh, along with our APA IT developers, uh, right now we've uh, made an interactive dashboard. We're finishing testing it. But we found 897 pilots, uh, 1,600 roughly legs, and about 4,500 hours of uh, flying from each of those legs. And identifying them, uh, we're going to go ahead and communicate that with negotiating and look to publish this list as a backstop for you to compare against uh, what the company's numbers are going to be. And that way we can go ahead and make sure you get paid. Next slide. A lot of distress we've seen the schedule, and this is some of the information that we provide scheduling-wise into the NO and BOD. Uh, we've seen a lot of reassignments uh, across the summer. What you're seeing there in the slide, it's a busy slide, I apologize about that, but uh, each of the portions across that are duty periods, and we've basically seen that any RA-25, RO, or AF uh, in any duty period, uh, we've basically seen that trend about 20% uh, per day uh, across the schedule in mid-June, mid uh, and it came back down in July, and we're, we're closing out July going into August with uh, about a 20% chance of going out and flying and that you're going to get reassigned. Uh, so August is already picking up to an impressive uh, number of reassignments. We've actually had peaks of some days that are up to 30% uh, seeing reassignments in some bid statuses. Next slide. Of most hit for that is, of course, narrowbody uh, first officer reassignments. Uh, we've seen going into now on the far right of the chart, uh, looking back about 27% starting off the month of August. Uh, we had a peak in around 25% in June, and uh, it's been trending upwards all summer long. Uh, most of those for, of course, for the first officers. We're starting off once again, August initially higher than we had in uh, July with June as the peak over, over the summer. Next slide. We've seen a lot of pilots complaining about flying past their footprint uh, length of their sequence. Uh, we saw that uh, June was a particularly stressful month where we saw uh, the most pilots that were overflown. I have that backwards on that slide. Unfortunately, we had in June, uh, basically 1,504 pilots flown past their sequence footprint. Uh, for a total of about 16, 1,690 days. Um, once again, we're seeing since mid-June, around sorry, mid-July, around 12 July, uh, we're averaging around 30 to 45 pilots a day that are flying past uh, their, their sequence footprint. Next slide. And of course, reserve manning. Uh, reserves are getting used higher, uh, higher GTD levels uh, than previously all the way back to 2019. 
it's uh, cooled off a little bit in July, but we still have some of our uh, some of our bid statuses that are continuously getting hit, such as Charlotte 320 Captain, Charlotte 737 First Officer, and we also have pilots that are exceeding uh, 85 hours. So in June we had 196 pilots, uh, in July we had 100 pilots. Uh, so once again, the reserves are, are getting utilized extensively. Uh, this report is also available on the scheduling homepage. You can take a look at uh, reserve GTT across all bid statuses. Next slide. I think that's it, John. Thanks. Yeah. Hey, so John, while you're still here, there was a um, there was a question that just popped up, and I think it might have been answered on there. But the the question, which comes up pretty routinely, and I'll answer this if you're not comfortable answering it, was what are the odds that a that uh, APA would be uh, willing to take over lightsaber? Do you want to take that, or would you like me to take it? Well, I mean, from talks with Rob, Rob is has an excellent product. Uh, we love all of his features and everything else. Um, you know, he's continuing to run his product. Uh, we've talked with him before about from the ITSC perspective on how we can go ahead and, uh, and leverage some of his knowledge, his expertise. Uh, but for now, uh, he's happy to run his own. We're, we're developing some of our own products in-house, um, but of course, we're not allowed to operate in the trip trading environment. So, so I'll condense that. We have asked. He is not willing to come work with us, and that's his prerogative. So thanks, uh, John, and uh, for everything you do and you and your team. Uh, next up, Carl Jackson. One, one, Chris, one thing I want to say that we forgot yes. all about John and his team, the 100% premium. The company was yes. absolutely unable to advertise that information and came to us, and we were able to, through John and IT and scheduling, to get that out to the pilots so that they know instantly when they send that list to us. So pilots need to check their AA, uh, APA app and they'll be able to get any notification of a 100% premium that goes into their bid status or any other bid status they want to look at. Excellent. Thanks. Thanks to both you guys and, and all your team. Uh, Carl Jackson, Captain's Authority Committee, you're up. Yes, sir. Can you hear me? Uh, loud and clear. Yep. Uh, all the stuff we've been talking about, of course, is, creates a lot of stress on the line. And, of course, stress affects safety. So captains and FOs can can reduce that. You know, they're they're the ultimate authority on whether something happens or not. Um, we started this committee in, in July. Didn't start the committee. I, I started on the committee in July with Captain Fisher appointing me. There was one remaining member on this committee, so we've we've had a bunch of domiciles submit uh, uh, recommendations for filling the national committee and in the domestic committees, the domicile committees. Um, we're still looking for members in Boston, local committee members in Boston, LA, and Chicago. So if anybody's interested, please contact your local reps. Um, we started up a uh, report page on the quick links on the APA website, Captain Authority Threats, for people to submit their situations so that we can publish those to the membership to, to educate, learn, and have some confidence in making decisions going forward. We don't work for maintenance. We don't work for the agents. Uh, you know, we work with them, but they work, you know, we have the ultimate authority. They, the economics of American, the way their tenants are safety, customer service, and then economics. And we have a bigger picture on customer service in most situations than the agents. And we know what stress they're put under. Um, and, and of course, that causes stress on us and also on the flight attendants, the crew members. So well, this committee is gonna continue going forward and putting out these uh, 
these situations to the membership. Hopefully they appreciate that and learn from them. If there's something we can do better, please use that same form to let us know and we'll try to improve. We're available. We're trying to make these local committee uh, contacts available to you. Maybe you're more comfortable talking to a local guy than to one of us at national or just the option of having multiple calls to try to reach somebody. So going forward, we're gonna to continue to do this and, uh, and we request your input and keep putting in the reports for us. And uh, that's about all I have. So if anybody has any questions. That's great, Carl. Thanks. Uh, and thanks for reinvigorating the Capital Authority Committee. Um, next up, Negotiating Committee, Chris Walker. Uh, any, any sort of update you wanna give? And then we got a bunch of questions for you. Yeah, hey everybody, it's Chris. Uh, sitting here in uh, our larger negotiating room. Uh, things are progressing along. I know there's a lot of questions about uh, when are we going to get a contract? How are things moving? Given uh, the, the recent things that have gone on with the, the July issue, the offer from the company, et cetera. Uh, we have pretty good board tasking. We've gotten um, some, some great guidance today um, to move forward. The company currently is sitting on um, 11 out of the 13 sections that we're discussing. Um, and uh, we, we owe them some data on, on a couple, but uh, we're trying to move forward. We're trying to get to, to something that's in the, in uh, gonna be meeting our board tasking, meeting our needs of our pilots and, and, uh, and get this thing done by the end of the summer if we can. All right, we'll move on to the questions. Question one, why are we doing another survey so far into section six? Uh, simply because it's, it's in, our, uh, in our policy manual to do so. Uh, while we're in section six negotiations, we're supposed to pull the membership uh, as often as we need to and as a minimum every six months. Um, this one's a little different. Uh, for the, the past couple, since I've been on the negotiating committee, we've been using scientific polling through the form of phone polling. Uh, that gives us uh, very good data within uh, within a couple percentage of uh, of accuracy of exactly where the whole pilot group looks on things, uh, but that's uh, expensive and, and timely, and it requires calling people. And one of the biggest issues that we had heard from from people is, "Hey, I didn't get to have my say. They didn't call me. I'd like to make my voice known." We see that a lot in sound offs. We read all the sound offs, of course, but for this one, we went with a web survey that gave the opportunity for everybody. Uh, to, to fill out and give the information and then also uh, with a block there to uh, uh, let us know any additional thoughts that they may have. Um, so um, a, a lot of you may be um, like, you, a lot of you may be saying, why are we doing this so, so far in, in, into section six? Well, because we have to, and uh, this has been a good opportunity to see where the membership's at. The responses have been uh, great. A large, a large contingent of the, of the pilot group has already responded. Uh, just a quick reminder, you've got about another uh, day or so to get it done. Um, so please put those in there. Get us that data. We'd appreciate it. Thank you. Next question. The latest online survey asked questions about participating in a picket line or how I get my news versus negotiation goals. Why were there not more questions on desired goals on quality of life issues? Uh, why were there not more questions on desired goals or quality of life issues? Well, you have that open box to tell us anything else you would like us to add. The questions were shaped through uh, consult um, with our pollsters and with our, uh, our negotiating uh, 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 expert and professional, Jalmer Johnson. And um, 
when you when you write a survey, when you write a poll, there's always a balance between how short and how long you want that to be. We wanted it to be um, have some brevity into it so that you all could get it on your phone, your iPad at home and not be stuck to a computer for hours on end trying to fill out a survey. Um, and uh, and so we kind of shaped the length to where we did. Oh, hold on. All right. Uh, is limiting slash eliminating the blocker IOE system on the table for any kind of improvement? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that's, that's a part of uh, our, our section uh, 12 uh, discussions for with, with, uh, with the, uh, the check pilots. It's a, it's a uh, pull directly from what the original openers were on 2019. Um, and, and part of that is, is not having all the trips blocked, but instead um, having the, uh, the, the line pilots displaced for, for training such that that pilot goes home and, uh, and, and gets paid for his trip that he didn't fly. And then possibly also looking at the, the potential for, you know, if that pilot can, it can add additional productivity and wants to go work to go ahead and even double dip under that, under that footprint. All right, thank you. Next one. Can we negotiate to have crew scheduling run DOTC with conflict? to solve the massive seniority injustice of junior reserves, uh, always getting high pay premium trips instead of senior line holders because line holders having conflicting trips in their line. I think that what the person might be trying to ask is they would like priority for conflict bidding over uh, the pilot that actually has that space open in order to get a premium trip. Um, and uh, there's no tasking to do that. There's no incentive really for the company to do that unless they're in an emergent situation to which they want to pay the double price of paying the conflict, uh, buying the person off the conflict and paying the premium. And then thirdly, um, we can have a seniority discussion of who's really getting abrogated in that case, because the pilot that uh, has that time fully available and is able to fly is no longer getting that trip um, and then may have to take something lesser because of, of, of the conflict person grabbing it. So um, no tasking on it. Don't believe that the company uh, has any incentive to really want to do that. And uh, yeah, that's where it sits. All right, next question. OG premium used to be seniority driven. Now it's dependent on the assortment of various levers that scheduling has at their disposal. Can we please negotiate to have seniority restored back to the awarding trips? Um, I would tell the person who wrote this question to bring that up uh, to their board members. Uh, it is still seniority driven. However, yes, there are levers based again on the pilot's availability to fly. You bid at your seniority in order to work certain days on reserve and have other days off. Um, and the company owns that time for when you are on. And so when you're looking to do OG or premium reserve if there's a person that has that time open for straight premium and the company chooses to go that path we have through the 120 day process um, agreed with them that, that they can use those levers if you want the levers removed you would have to go through your board members and then have to task us we'd have to value it out see see where that sits and, and enter into the negotiating process with a company and that would take some time next question has uh has the negotiating committee noticed any change in the company's urgency for a TA since the green July LOA 2201 passed? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, the, the, we, we took the opportunity with this quote unquote green July to really reinforce a lot of the things your negotiating committee has been telling the company for the past year and a half. 
the company struggles with um, reliability, consistency, uh, getting the schedule flown. They continue to have high amounts of reserve. They continue to lock down all of the trip trading functions. And what we've been saying again and again and again is, look, shorter trips, maximizing trip trading opportunity will allow the pilots to best determine their schedules. There will be pilots that want to drop down to low amounts because they don't want to fly a lot. There will be pilots who would like to fly a lot um, because that's what they want to do or how they want to make their money. But if you have long trips, lockdown, trading systems, uh, et cetera, it becomes very challenging. And in those longer trips with the way that our operation runs, they tend to break down. It continues to create problems with reassignment, with reschedule, et cetera. And so all of our negotiating pushes to show here's some mechanisms where timely application of incentives, where maximal trading opportunities are going to get you that consistency you want to fly the operation. We use the July issue to, get to, to foot stomp. Hey, remember we have said these things. Why don't you put those in play? That will help out the pilots in what we have been asking for, the graduated premium, the holiday pay, et cetera. And we'll give you the opportunity when you're screwing up the operation to find the pilot that will fly it at the rate to which you can now offer. Beyond that, I think that uh, uh, the, the team of the national officers and the board will, will support on this. There's been an incentive from the company. The company is really looking at next summer's flying. And they need to know that they can hire the number of pilots they want to hire. They can train the number of pilots they, they want to train. And we keep telling them that their path through that is section six. When you have the strongest contract out there that addresses all of our pilots' needs, you will be able to hire, you'll be able to have pilots giving the productivity that they need in order to execute for next summer and take on the aircraft deliveries that they want to take on. So absolutely, I, we do think that there is a shift there um, and we're getting close to an end game under this enhanced comprehensive approach in order to bring something to the board and ultimately to the membership. Hey, Chris, uh, if, you, if you'd quit <laughs> muting me, I'd like to... Uh... Chris Torres, I'd like to add something on that. Chris, Chris Wacker, thank. Okay, Chris, quit. It's not me, Ed. I'm I'm not touching my keyboard. <laughs> All right, somebody keeps muting me. Hey, uh, thank you, uh, thank you, Chris Wacker, for updating us on that. Look, uh, we've been pretty hard on Mr. Ice, and since we started this, we've been uh, tackling him on Capitol Hill. We've been tackling him in the press. We have been tackling him um, from all avenues to let him know we are absolutely dissatisfied with the pace of negotiations. And I think that the 2nd of July trip trade meltdown, the green July that Chris Walker just talked about, brought it home. It was an opportunity to bypass his team, as he calls them, the middle management negotiating team that has really been a drag on the negotiations now for years and i think that once mr isom got the message he gave it to his team to move forward we have noticed a, a lot a lot of progress in the negotiations i would say we've made more progress in the last month than we made in the last three and a half years but that's my opinion um i know that the members see it the negotiating team is has been given some new life to go ahead and actually tackle these issues. The board's moving. I, I think we're, we're getting close to a TA. I think that the pace is picking up. 
I think all we need to do is keep our focus here and we're going to get an offer pretty soon. So I think that's an excellent question, whoever asked that question. And Chris, thanks for the good answer. And I'm, and I'm glad that you feel the same way I do. We are definitely seeing a change in tone from the company over the last month. All right, next question. Will all grievances be resolved, not just dismissed prior to the signing of the new contract? Uh, one word answer, yes. How they are resolved, what they are paid at, what that does to the contract language, a lot of that still has to be worked out. As just a simple um, explanation through the process, we get to the gold standard of what we want on the TA. We get to all those things with the company, and then we go back and go, here are all the things that to which we still have outstanding differences because it's not been resolved in the new language. Here's all the things that, while in the new language, we have um, resolved whatever that grievance is. All of these pilots were previously affected, and we come to a, a resolution for that. So uh, the answer is yes. All right, excellent. Thank you. Next question. Are days off being protected in negotiations for the new contract? My day off is my day off. Our days off. Uh, your day I off is your reserve, day off. Referring to reserve pilots being flown. I understand that. Your, your day off is your day off, except for if it's a movable day. And except if your contract says they can fly you to noon. I agree with everyone who goes, hey, Chris, that's BS. That's my day off. I don't want to be flown to noon. I think it's crap. I do too. All right. But that's what our contract currently says. We got to movable days as a end result of reducing the total number of reserve days. So to, to go to the next step, to go every day off is a golden day, everything must be done by midnight is, is a goal to reach for, but it needs to be appropriately tasked from the board and we need to negotiate with the values with the company and determine where that fits in, in the priority of everything that we have on the table. To that end, we're looking strongly for mechanisms for the pilot that becomes affected and flown into their day off, day off to have either a pay or the opportunity to decline and, and, and get the company's behavior shaped so that they don't fly you into those days off, they don't fly you in your movables, and they definitely don't touch your golden days. Okay, thank you. Next question, and I'm gonna actually uh, bring back BJ West, because I know Chris, uh, uh, this isn't so much in the negotiating committee's wheelhouse, so BJ, if you're still available, what is going on with the pay protections with the new AA ground stop program, which the company refers to as HEAT? Yep, uh, Chris, thanks. Um, so the APA objected uh, to the company's uh, CCI message where they said that heat uh, delays were not going to be included in the RFD program. Um, we stringently objected to that. Uh, the company then sent the follow-on CCI message from uh, Russ Moore, uh, which basically said that they were going to take it back and review it. Uh, in the interim, we're, we're asking pilots to go ahead and submit RFDs for heat delays. Uh, it's APA's position that we've got a previous, uh, previous grievance from uh, the a Hunter presidential grievance settlement, or not a settlement, rather an arbitration uh, that we believe applies in this situation. Um, and uh, basically, the, in a nutshell, that, that grievance was based on the fact that the company was just where there were ATC delays, the company was just rescheduling the departure to coincide with the end of the ATC delay, the, thereby negating 
uh, basically all ATC RFD protections, uh, which, you know, obviously we negotiated for. Uh, so we think it's very similar in this, that the company controls the departure times under heat. Uh, and so they're just negating any pay that would be otherwise be associated by filing an RFD. So um, it's to be decided, but uh, I think uh, obviously our position is correct. Thanks, PJ. Back to Chris. Are we negotiating periods for the, eight, the 321 XLR? Why stop there? Uh, the answer is yes. We're we're attempting to negotiate pay rates for multiple forms of the 321, the max. Uh, look, um, there's flying that isn't rightfully group two flying. It, they, it goes above and beyond. We have some ideas of where the, how the company may want to use those aircraft, and we want to make sure that the pilots are paid appropriately and that it hasn't devolved from what was group three flying into group two flying. The answer is yes. All right, last question. Uh, when will the members of the negotiated committee pledge to forego premium flying? I realize it is their contractual right to fly premium, but they should realize that picking up premium and OG diminish what little leverage we have at the bargaining table, and it is incumbent upon the members of the negotiating committee and the BOD to show leadership during this critical time by not performing any additional flying or other duties for the airline. Uh, I don't know when you're going to get negotiating committee members to pledge to waive one of their contractual rights. Um, I can only speak for myself and my flying. I have had one day of premium in the last 10 months. And it was uh, a Sunday where I just wanted to go fly a turn to actually touch the metal and go fly. And I put in for it for straight time and the company awarded it to me at premium anyways. Um, understand that premium is your contractual right. It's all of our contractual rights. And a lot of what we're negotiating is to tell the company that timely and an appropriate application of premium is what's going to find the right pilot to go fly the trip uh, in, in order to get the, the schedule done. Um, it would be insincere if uh, our pilot group uh, chose not to fly premium and we would be inconsistent with the message that we're trying to tell the company of how to get to a successful contract that will represent all the pilots uh, if, if certain members were making a verbal pledge to stay out of premium. Further, um, as a member of the union, if we did something like that, that could be seen as a job action as well. Uh, I won't speak to the other the other members of, uh, of the committee. You can talk with them directly or, or email them or, or whatnot. Um, I will say this. I know how much uh, that I see all of the members of the board of the committees. They're here four to five days a week. They're putting in excessive amounts of time. Uh, people flying on the weekends. I think it's a good thing, and it keeps us current, keeps us relevant, keeps us talking to you all out there on the line to figure out where the real issues are. All right. Thanks, Chris. Now bringing it home, hotel committee. Uh, let me see. I don't know if Lauren entered up. Uh, I do see Andrew Zahn from the hotel committee. So, Andrew Zahn, go ahead. Yes, Lauren, uh, her flight just diverted about the same time that American Airlines turned on Biz Hero. They activated at 6.08 p.m. this evening which is third-party travel alliance, which you guys have all heard about. Now they're calling it TA Connections. Uh, American Airlines knows it's still a problem, but yet nothing has been resolved by American Airlines yet. It leads to our first bullet point as far as fatigues. Most recent fatigue call data show that there were over 800 fatigue events with approximately 25% directly related to hotels. Today's a perfect example. When you need American Airlines the most, They've outsourced it to third-party travel alliance. They turn on Biz Hero. They're not there supporting you, so it's difficult for us to get our rest. 
most of our pilots know, all of our pilots know to never sign in fit for duty unless you're truly not fatigued if you are fit for duty. So we, yeah, it, it, it's a, it's comes across as appropriate that there were so many fatigue calls in the most recent uh, data. The three ways to communicate with us is debriefs like they have always been debriefs. That's if you have a specific problem that you need to address. Uh, second is the hotel web pages. Um, we're finalizing web page 2.0, moving to a new version of the web pages, will be, which will be enhanced, improved, everybody will love. You can communicate with those, but that's mainly just sharing thoughts for food, activities. You can put stuff about hotels, but for the most part, we're needing a debrief if you're wanting something fixed within the hotel. And our third way of communication is with the quick 30-second survey. Uh, we have over 1.2 million survey data points since we began the program and we're working with APA IT on a new version 2.0 for the survey data also so that we can take it to the next level. Um, the last thing that I'm going to cover is just social media. Before taking issues to social media, give us a chance to help. Uh, send it to us first, then you can post it to private forums such as below the line or the line. Um, as everyone knows, you should never ever post anything to an open public social media forum. It's against a, a policy, um, mainly because it can hamper our relationships with hotels. We can get kicked out of good hotels when there's a small issue that could easily be resolved. Let us help you. Um, our phone numbers are listed, our email address. We communicate constantly in the Friday News Digest. Everybody should be able to reach us, but that's pretty much a wrap for hotels, and I'm more than happy to help further if needed. Hey, thanks, Andrew, for that. And, and I'll just reiterate, you know, as, as somebody who is pretty prolific on social media. That's not the place to complain about stuff. Send it to your reps, send it to the appropriate uh, you know, committee folks. We, we can't fix problems if we don't know about it and we don't constantly monitor that stuff. So uh, thank you, Andrew. Thank you to all of our uh, committee members who have participated. Thank you to everybody who has attended here tonight. Uh, we appreciate your participation. Um, you're gonna see additional emails about the September 1 event and the Charlotte event. Uh, please, 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 we, we need to be involved. I know this is, um, it, you know, it, it's getting to be a slog this far into section six, but we, we this is where we need to, to plus up, not, uh, not draw down. So thanks everybody for attending and uh, we will see you next month.